Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Psalm chapter 85 and verse 6. Wilt thou not revive us again that thy people may rejoice in thee? You may say, Pastor Jack, I, I, I just kind of like my soft, simple Sunday morning if it's okay with you. And I'm fine with that. As long as your heart's in the right place. The problem is I can't gauge how you're doing or I can't gauge anything by silence. But there is something powerful about when someone releases their praise. Because, you see, the Bible has, has a whole host of information about the power of life and death are in your tongue. So it does tell me. So you say, oh, you can't tell anything about the heart by when, about when someone begins to, I, that, that may be true to a degree. But, but to another degree, it does tell me that if I'm able to release praise through my lips. And if I'm able to release praise by my tongue, then it does tell me that somewhere there is a wall. The simplest member of my being, the single most member that's most hard to control and contain, it's been released to give God praise. So in that moment, I opened up something inside of me to say, God, do your work, have your way. It's a simple act of submission, but it's a declaration to the devil about what God is going to do in my life. God's about to do a miracle in me. God's about to do the miraculous inside. I believe that. I believe it. So the reason we call for revival isn't just so God can have his way, it's so that we can have our way. I want to have a spirit of rejoicing on the inside. Not something that's fabricated or conjured, not something that's created just by my mentality or positive thinking, but that when God puts something on the inside, when deliverance occurs, joy comes. When healing comes, joy comes. When, when sin is forgiven, joy comes. That thy people may rejoice in thee. Turn to your name and say, I'm praying for revival. Season of sacrifice, we're praying for revival. Push back the donuts. Praying for revival. Left the cheesecake on the counter. Oh, hallelujah. Season of sacrifice. It opens a door of opportunity. Thank you, church family. I feel the difference. You may be seated. Title of the lesson this morning, Revive Us, O Lord. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 1 is part of a series of sermons that Jesus preaches to the churches in Asia. I want to single Sardis out this morning because I think Sardis, out of all of the churches, scares me the most. The first four churches, the word, Jesus, the word, starts with commendation and ends with conviction and condemnation. But in this series of lessons from here on out, from Sardis on through, Jesus starts with condemnation. The other churches, sin was an exception, but with Sardis, it had become the rule if we'd only seen what people saw, maybe from the outside Sardis, outside Sardis would have pleased us. It seemed like they had it all together. It scares me the most because of how the narrative reads and how Jesus preaches. He said, unto the angel of the church in Sardis, write, these things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and seven stars. I know thy works, that thou hast a name that thou livest, and art dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. 
for I have not found thy work perfect before God. Remember therefore how thou hast received and heard and hold fast and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. Thou hast a few names even in Sardis which have not defiled their garments and they shall walk with me in white for they are worthy. He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment and I will not blot out his name from the book of life but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels he that hath an ear to hear let him hear what the spirit is saying to the churches and I would say that the same message and the same lesson comes down through the ages let me just preface the entire preaching this morning to say I don't have an axe to grind I don't have somebody's name on my chalkboard I don't have anything that I'm kind of shooting at all I've got is an unction from the holy one that God said talk about this this morning so I just need someone just to kind of put down all the barriers and release the shield and, and let the Holy Ghost begin to work in your life for a few moments this morning. I, I just want the Lord to talk to us today. I'm far more interested in hearing that voice than I am this voice. I, I'm far more interested than this word going forward than this word being released. I, I, that's, that's what I'd like to talk about for a few moments this morning. Sardis lived in the middle of an idolatrous area. They were the church. Where debauchery ruled in the region, they hung their shingle out as the apostolic salvation station. They had a name. They had a name. As a matter of fact, I'm not just talking about they had a name, but now they didn't. As of that moment when Jesus directed his attention their way, they had a name. They had a good name. They had a name that was revered and respected. They had a name that, that when it was said, they probably, you know, they said, I'm, I'm from the apostolic church of Sardis. They were proud to be where they were from. In the region and in the area, they stood out. They were separate. They, they, were, they were distinct. They, they had a name. And I think sometimes it scares me because we can get a name. I'm grateful that God has given CCC disproportionate influence. I'm grateful that God has given us the privilege of, of not just being a local church with local influence, but that God has allowed us to impact people regionally. And God has allowed us to impact regions globally. It's a privilege that God has given to us, and it comes along with a great responsibility. And it also comes with a name this morning. It comes with a name. Names are powerful. I only have to start naming a few names. Irving. Trudeau. Let's stop right there. I mean, let's carry on. So we can have strong social media platforms where our name has been recognized and declared. Thousands watch our service. Our church has international recognition in our fellowship for preaching and teaching and our efforts in giving to global missions and mission trips and mission teams and, and opportunities that God has presented to us. We don't want to take advantage of them. We want to use them to the full, full element that God has called us to do, what God has called us to do, and who God has called us to be. We don't want to miss that. We've got a name. Our pastor could fill every day, every week of the year with preaching engagements literally around the world. We have a strong legacy in our city. Let's bring it closer to home. We have a powerful presence in our community. We have a beautiful campus with nearly 50 acres in the city limits that we own. We have over 50 years of history in Marysville. We have 
a good name. We help families. We teach English. We started IELTS fall semester this morning. I watched as the cars rolled in and people came so that we could help them become members of our community, members of our country. Excited about that. We love to do family fun days and corn boils and small groups. We are in this building almost every single day of the week, it seems. Our calendar looks apostolic. It has Wednesday Bible study. It has Friday meeting prayer. It has Sunday service, morning and night. We have some of the greatest evangelists. Lee Stone King, Vesta Manga, Mangan, Wayne Huntley. We have focused prayer and fasting. We have season of sacrifice. We declare signs, wonders, and miracles, and we see them. We have a message of salvation. We declare that repentance is necessary. Baptism is mandatory. And we baptize in Jesus' name for the remission of sins. Spirit infilling with tongues is a signature part of our doctrine. Why? Because we believe the truth. And we believe that the truth sets men and women free. We have a name. We have a name that we are alive. We call people to righteousness and holiness. And we believe that we should come out from among them and be separate. We believe that Christian maturity includes increments of separation. We believe that holiness on the inside yields holiness to the outside. We have distinctives in our dress, in our talk, in our walk, and in our lives. We work hard. But it's the work that Jesus calls that church out on. He said, I know thy works. It's one thing for Marysville to know the works of CCC. And it's another thing for Fredericton to know the works of CCC. But I've come to talk to somebody about the works that Jesus knows about CCC. Because we can have all of the right works. And we can have all of the right reviews. And we can be dead. We could be dead. The story of Dor, <laughs> a lady in our church, let me just leave it right there, it was one day that Kathy and I stopped by the hospital to visit one of our church members. She had complications and was through triage but was waiting for a room in the ER. We slipped behind that curtain and spent a few minutes chatting. We were right in the middle of the conversation. She was reminiscing of a time that she had with her father cooking. And I was leaned over near to her bed when she stopped in mid-sentence and she said to me, I think I'm leaving you now. It was just in that moment that her eyes closed and her heart stopped. Every beeper and buzzer in that entire ER was going off. I stood up. I hollered for help. Nurses came running. The quiet became chaos. The routine conversation turned into a very distinct and memorable time for me. I had no idea what was going to happen in the middle of her conversation. I had no idea that that was going to occur in the midst of that visit that day. I had no idea what was going to happen to that lady. And no wonder Revelation 3 verse 2 goes on. It said, be watchful. It said, wake up. Just tap your neighbor and say, wake up. I don't know if anybody's fallen asleep yet in the sermon this morning. I tell people, I don't, I don't mind if people fall asleep when I'm preaching because it's probably because of one of two things. Either I'm really boring I'm not looking for disagreement. Some people are, the, the sleeping people can't disagree. <laughs> or it's because they're that tired, but they came anyway. 
But if your neighbor's asleep, would you tap them and say, wake up? Oh, I hear somebody. If your neighbor's not asleep, tap them and tell them, wake up. Well, that's still, okay, let's try this again. If anybody is beside you, tap them and tell them, wake up. We got to tell ourselves, wake up sometimes because we can fall asleep. Be watchful. That, that, that's what the scripture said in King James. But in, in this vernacular, it said, wake up and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found thy works perfect before God. Sometimes we've got to wake up. I, I believe that there is <clears throat> there's a, an alarm clock going off in the supernatural right now. And God's saying, church, be careful. Wake up. It's time to wake up. Right now isn't the time to be falling asleep. It isn't time to be putting your head back or putting your head forward, however you do it. Yeah, it isn't time to, to kind of pull the lever and pull the chair all the way back. No, it's time to wake up. It, it, it's time to strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. It hasn't died yet, but it's getting ready to die. You see, that phrase, wake up, would have been very significant to the church at Sardis. They knew their own history. It was 219 B.C., a few hundred years before Jesus was born, that the city was captured by night by an invading army. They came in while Sardis slept. You see, Sardis is a natural, it's, it's a natural high place. It's a, it's a natural citadel, if you will. It has a natural given built-in protection. It's high on the hill. They can see the advance from the enemy, but sometimes when you're built way high on the hill and you've got all the fortress around you, you can become complacent. You can get a little bit, you can get comfortable, and, 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 you know, we haven't been attacked for hundreds of years. Nobody would dare attack us. We're so strong. We're so resilient. We've been so careful all along. Can I tell you, that's exactly when the enemy would like to attack the enemy wants to attack uh, the, the ones that feel like, you know, we're beyond attack. We're above that kind of attack in, in our church or in our family or in my life. But can I remind you that the enemy is as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. No wonder the scripture said, be vigilant. Come on, somebody just sh tap your neighbor one more time. Give a little, little shot and say, wake up. It's time to wake up. That city had fallen asleep and the enemy had captured them. They had regained their independence. But again, the first time, 549 B.C., the second time, 219 B.C., twice. Sardis, two strikes, you're out. Wake up. So when Jesus addresses that church, they know exactly what he's talking about. They know that he's reminding them. You, you've got to be more than careful. You've got to build everything that you can't afford to fall asleep when the enemy is on the advance. You can't afford to go to sleep when the enemy's on attack mode. You can't afford because he's sneaking around waiting for the moment that you just fall asleep. And in that minute, he's going to attack your family. He's going to attack your history. He's going to, come on, he's going to attack you as an individual as a person because all he wants to do is destroy you that's what he wants it's a call that resounds through the ages to the church today we could be alive we could be active our works could be very apparent but we could be asleep the first thing that we need to do is that we need to search our heart. God, am I awake this morning? God, am I, am I in danger right now? The things that I'm doing on my day-to-day -day activity, do they bring God glory 
or do they bring me glory? Who do I want to get the credit for the things that I've done? Do I want it to be the church? Do I want it to be Jesus? Or do I want it to be Jack? What? What's my heart like right now? Am I part-hearted? Am I half-hearted? Or am I wholehearted? Where am I at right now? And we gotta, we got to take time. we got to be intentional about, about, <clears throat> about taking a good look on the inside of who we are. we got to be intentional about asking ourselves, where am I really at this morning? Now, you know, I, I, I want to preach sermons that get us out of the pew and in the aisle and, and dancing around and, and jumping around. I, I, I want all of that. But sometimes we just got to pause and say, God, let's do, let's do a really close examination of the man or the woman in the mirror this morning. Let's do a close examination because I can't afford to fall asleep. I don't want to be Sardis. I don't want to have the appearance like everything's going normal, that everybody around me just kind of has the understanding or the impression that I've got it all together. But in reality, I'm asleep and the enemy is on attack and he's looking for a way in and I've just given him a wide open front door. I, I don't want that in my life. I, I wish someone would just kind of agree with me for a minute. I don't want that in my life. I don't need that for my family. I, I don't want to give that occasion to the enemy today. Wake up. We've got to ask ourselves, am I closer than I've been or am I farther to the Lord? We love to sing, draw me nearer, nearer, nearer. We love to sing that. And I'm not, I haven't even looked to see who's there. But the first place we settle ourselves is in the back pew. Sorry, not you. Spiritually. You know what I mean? We, we talk about getting closer to God, but, but we pick. This reminds me of a story. I jotted the mountain on my notes in the middle of song service. Reminds me of a story of a lady whose husband passed away. They lived high on a mountain. He had been the driver. She didn't have her license, and so it required that she hire a driver so that she could get to the places that she needed to go. The, the first person that came for the interview, she sat them down. She said, you know, I'm just wondering about your credentials. I'm wondering about your qualifications. Could you tell me a little bit about your driving history? Any accidents? Oh, no, i got no accidents. Any, any speeding? Well, maybe a couple speeding tickets. He said, ma'am, I'm, su I'm such a good driver that I, I could put my tire right on the corner of the trail going down the mountain, and I could keep it there the whole way down. She said, well, thank you so much. I'm going to keep your name. I'm going to keep your name right here. I've got a few more interviews to do. She said, I just, I, I thank you for that. And uh, another, another gentleman came in for the interview, and his eyes were a little bit wide. He, she said, are you here for, for the interview today? And he said, I'm here, ma'am. And she said, well, tell me a little bit about your qualifications. He said, you know, I'm not even sure I want this job. I didn't realize where you lived. I'm scared to death of heights. He said, if he, he said, I hugged the mountain the whole way up. I was scared the whole time I was coming up. I'm going to be scared to death to get down out of here. She said, you're hired. Sometimes we got to take a quick examination about how close we are to the world. God, where's my heart at right now? Have I drawn nearer or am I far away? Am I just kind of hugging the middle line of that road? Am I, am I slipping off to the side or am I as close as I can get to you, God? Because I don't want to miss an opportunity for you to touch my life. I, I don't want to miss an opportunity for you to use me, God. I don't want to fall asleep and fall off the side of the mountain. I want to get as close as I can. And no 
wonder, no wonder, because scripture tells us that we ought to draw nearer to God. So we ask ourselves, am I, am I doing better with my giving than I have? I, I'm talking about giving. Tithing is, in, is, just, is just a part of it. We, we, that's a necessity. That needs to be a part of our lives. But giving, am I doing better with giving or am I doing worse with giving? Am I ramping it up in the worship in my life or has it kind of cooled off? Have I just kind of fell off to the side and, and just allowed some of the young people to take care of that? Or, or young people maybe are saying, I'm just going to let some of our faithful seniors take care of that for a little while. My attendance, is it better or is it worse? My attitude, is it better or is it worse? My fasting, am I fasting more or am I not fasting at all? My prayer life, am I praying? I'm just talking about what we need to do to make sure that we're awake this morning. Is anybody okay with that? Everybody okay with that? Uh, uh, my attendance to services, am I, my attendance services, like I mentioned, we've got, we got an opportunity all week long for you to be in church. Am I closer or am I further? It was Lot that pitched his tent towards Sodom and Gomorrah. And it's only a few chapters later where we read the angels trying, attempting to pull he and his family out. Why? Because we can get close to the world and in a moment we can fall asleep. And before we even know it, the enemy has advanced and done that work against us in our lives. Tap your neighbor one more time and say, wake up. Am I awake this morning? Scripture went on. Jesus said, strengthen the things that remain. I'm glad that he's that kind of God this morning. They had already lost so much and so little remain. What was it that the church had? They, had? they had their deeds. They had their works. That still remained. The church still had this element of truth in it. But we can have truth on the paper. And we can have truth in, in, in the, on the office, on the wall. We can have truth in our foundation course. But let me tell you, truth had better be on the inside of us. Buy the truth and sell it. Not. I expected an amen there. They were about to die, and they didn't even know it. He said, remember. Does anybody remember? We've got some, we've got some folks that allowed us to become who we are that are a part of this church today. They remember tomatoes being thrown. They remember the cat calls of being... Holy rollers and penny hoppers and tongue talkers. They remember telling someone, oh, that's the church on the other side of the tracks. And it was. Some of you remember camp meetings with old tents and outdoor fields. It was mud and mosquitoes when it rained. It was hot and muggy in the sun. In the wintertime, it was prayer meetings around pot-bellied stoves. It was kitchen Bible studies. It was doctrine that was different. It was revival. Not just in the title of the weekend, but revival in hearts and revival in lives and revival in spirits. It was healing. It was help. It was deliverance. It was people showing up to service just so that they could make fun. And then by the time they left, they had bowed their knee at an altar and they went out a different person than the one that came in. I love the story of the O'Donnell brothers, how they came in just to make fun of a Pentecostal church service. They came in to see the holy rollers. They came in to hear the tongue talkers. They came in just to listen to the music that was happening 
happening. But by the time they went out those doors, they were different men than the ones that came in. Why? Because the power of the Holy Ghost rested in our rooms and God done the work that only God could do. He could breathe life into the lifeless hearts of individuals. And we're here because of it. So scripture said, hold fast and don't let go. I understand that better now than ever before. I understand why our distinctives matter. I understand why it's apparent that apparel is important. Do the math. And so this morning, it's somewhere in the middle of everything that we've said. You've caused for concern. We call it... We call it conviction. The scripture gives us the answer to that too. It said, repent. If you're concerned about your life in response to the lesson this morning, it's, it's repent. That's the answer. The prescription for revival in the midst of apostasy is repentance. That's what God calls us to. And you may never have prayed a prayer. It's simple. Start with repentance. What's repentance, Pastor Jack? Repentance is saying, God, I'm so sorry. I need to turn my life around. You can't get better at praying a prayer of repentance than that. There is no better repentance prayer than that. You may have been in this for 50 years or 60 years. I'll tell you what, even if you were, if if you've been in this for over 40 years, I've had the Holy Ghost 41 years this April. 41 years. But my prayer of repentance has got to start the same way that your prayer of repentance does. God, forgive me. I need to turn my life around. God, help me get right. Help me to wake up. God, help me this morning. I don't want to be asleep. I want to be in a place of revival. Someone shout revival this morning. We may, have, we may have prayed hundreds of prayers. We may have slept under the pews. You may have had to wear floaties to get into the baptismal tank. You may have talked in tongues just a few years after you learned to talk. But we all start that prayer of repentance the exact same way. God, forgive me. That's where it all starts. And repentance is the key to revival. Not the preacher this morning. Not the sermon. We'll leave that right behind. That's not the key to revival. Let me tell you what the key to revival is. The key to revival is repentance. The key to revival is altars that are full. The key to revival is that when our heart says, you know what, there's no place I'd rather be than in God's presence. Why? Because the moment I get in God's presence, God can do something on the inside of me. God can correct my wrong going ways. God can get me back on track. God can heal the hurt that's on the inside that's turned into bitterness. And that bitterness has locked me down and, and blocked me from the attention that God has for my life. I'm talking about what God can do with a repentant heart this morning with repentance repentance is the way to revival I I, I need to finish the story about Kathy and I's hospital visit because in that moment when we were with that lady and I had to get out of the way we sat in a chair off to the side, Kathy was crying I was still assessing the chaos, I was watching what was happening, A, a nurse came by and she asked Kathy, she said are you okay? She said, what's your relationship to this lady? Kathy said, she's one of our saints. The lady looked a little curious. I don't know. She thought we were praying to that saint. 
She obviously didn't have apostolic background. She said, well, it's okay. You can go back over now and see her. She's been revived. What a feeling in that moment to walk back to the bedside that you had left in defeat, but now came back in victory. What a feeling that in that moment, what, <clears throat> when, <laughs> come on, we're, we're just going to go somewhere in just a minute or two. I know it's seven minutes after 12, but can you help me get there? Can, can, can you help, help me get there? In, in just that moment, we went from death to life. I, I, I know the story with my father that it was, it was some great cardiologist in the hand of God that brought him back. He had died on that table, but God brought him back. There's something powerful about revival, and there's something equally powerful about when God does it in a church. And I can't tell you how strong I feel that something moving in this room right now because I don't know how you came in the room. I don't know what death had been written over your life, but I've come to declare this morning that God is speaking life in the room and God is speaking revival because that's just the way that God worked. God, God brought that lesson or that message, that sermon to Sardis, not so they could wallow in defeat and be a declaration of humility in the past, but rather he came to preach to them so they could strengthen the things that remain, so they could get a hold of the things that were in the backdrop and bring it into the foreground and become the church that God had designed and desired for them to be. I'm telling you, that's what God has a plan for, for C, C, C. I'm grateful for good works. I'm grateful for everybody that's involved. I'm thankful for every volunteer. But we need an apostolic outpouring of a life-giving power in our midst. We need revival. That is what we need this morning. We need, we need a revival. Revive us, oh Lord. Revive us. And that's going to come by way of repentance. Revive us, God. We can stand together in music if you would help me, please. God's first act with humanity was to breathe life into the lifeless. He formed man out of the clay and dust of the ground. But he leaned over and breathed into man the breath of life. I'll tell you why. Because he's a life giver. And God's intention and God's plan is to bring life to the lifeless this morning. Ezra 9 and verse 8, you could read it. It says that God is able to lighten our eyes and give us a little reviving in our bondage. It says, for we were bomb and yet our God hath not forsaken us in our bondage. Someone shout amen. That's the God we're talking about this morning. But hath extended mercy unto us in the sight of the kings of Persia to give us a reviving to give us a reviving. It's right there. God wanted to give them a reviving. Why? Because he's a God of revival. He's a God of revival. Isaiah 57 verse 15, when I was studying for this sermon, Man, this popped out at me like I've never seen it before. Scripture says, For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity. How many love those songs about heaven today? Pastor Matt said, Are you preaching about heaven? I said, No, maybe I should be. <laughs> then I said, Well, to myself, I said, Well, every sermon's about eternity.
the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. He said, I dwell in the high and holy place. This is what God said. He said, I dwell in the high and holy place. And I'll insert, but with him also, that is of a contrite and humble spirit. Why? To revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Thank you, Jesus. God, you see what God's saying in that verse? God's saying, I'm on the throne. I'm omnipotent and I'm almighty. I'm unequaled, unparalleled. There's nobody like me. I dwell in the high and holy place. But that's not my only dwelling. He said, if you want to find me, you can find me there. But if you're also looking for me, he said, I'll tell you where else you can find me. I'm with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit. Why? Because God said, I've come to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. God's letting us know, yeah, the throne is his. But if you want to include God, you might as well see him at the person that's bowed low at the altar saying, God, I'm laying my life out this morning. I'm laying it all down. I can't afford life the way. I've had it. It's only death, but I need revival this morning. I need revival this morning. God was a God of revival through the Old Testament. Second Kings 13, read about it. The, <clears throat> the body that was cast into the sepulcher of Elisha, it says that when the man was let down and touched the bones of Elisha, he revived. Someone shout revival. He's a God of revival. Second Kings 4:32, Elisha came in the house. The child was dead. Someone shout dead. But he went in, he laid on the child, prayed for him unto the Lord, went up, he put his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes, his hands on his hands, he stretched out, and the flesh of the child waxed warm. And then he returned and walked in the house to and fro and went up and stretched himself again. And the child sneezed seven times, and the child opened his eyes. Someone shout, Revival. God will bring life back to the dead. 1 Kings 17, 17. I won't take time to read it. You can find another story of God bringing life to the lifeless. Ezekiel 16. It was a valley of dry, oh, sorry, not a valley of dry bones. Let me, I didn't include that. Let me talk about Ezekiel 16 just for a minute. Again, the word of the Lord came unto Ezekiel saying, Son of man, cause Jerusalem to know her abominations and say, Thus saith the Lord God in Jerusalem, Thy birth and thy nativity in the land of the Can of, was in the land of Canaan. Thy father was an Amorite and thy mother an Hittite. And as for thy nativity in the day when thou wast born, thy navel was not cut, neither wast thou washed in water to supple thee. Thou wast not salted at all, nor swaddled at all. It was a hopeless situation. That baby cast off into the never Never to, never to live, never to experience life. None I pity thee to do any of these things unto thee, to have compassion on thee. But thou wast cast out in the open field to the loathing of thy person in the day that thou wast born. That's what the enemy wants for every single person. Cast out and left hopeless. But God said, when I passed by thee, and saw thee polluted in thine own blood. I said unto thee, when thou wast in thy blood. He said it was a hopeless situation. But he said in that moment, when everybody else had declared death, when everybody else had declared hopeless, when everybody else had said, mm -mm, I'm sorry, we can't do anything. God said in that moment, I said, live! He said, I said, live, yea. And I said unto thee, when thou wast in thy blood, live! And something happened on the inside. That, that, that's a picture of who and what God is. God is a life giver in the midst of death. God declares life in the midst.
midst of hopelessness. God said, I've got hope for you this morning. Sermon's finished, but God's not. God is declaring life in this room this morning. If every eye would be closed and every head bowed, we're going to have an altar call in just a moment because that's where we lay it down. God, we echo the psalmist's prayer today. Wilt thou not revive us again that thy people may rejoice in thee? God, that's our call this morning. That's our quest. That's our desire. God, there's a few. I know there's, there's, there's some in the room this morning. They did not need the message. But God, for the few that did, wilt thou not revive us? Come on, God is declaring life in the room right now. God, right now, right now, right now, front to the back, left to the right, hearts open, lives ready to receive anointing, do your work. God, destroy every yoke of bondage, destroy every chain that binds, open every heart. I'm wondering if we could join at the altar this morning. It's 1216, but I believe that God wants to do an eternal work in somebody's life. It's all right. Come now. We're going to begin to sing in just a moment, but just give me one. Come on. We're just, just let me encourage someone. I, I'm, I'm encouraging you. I'm persuading you. Come on. We could be like the epitaph in Acts where we could almost be persuaded or we could be persuaded this morning that it's my life that needs what the preacher's talking about today. It's my family that needs what's being preached this morning. I need revival. I need a revival. I need a personal revival. I, I, I need God's spirit to speak life over me. I need God to declare, live into my life. I, the enemy, he's got his plans. The enemy's got his focus. He, he's already got his agenda. He's already making his way up the side of the mountain. I've been sleeping. I didn't see it coming, but God, I need life. I need revival in me. I need you to do your work that only you can do this morning. Won't you revive us again, Oh Lord, that I can rejoice. Ah, somewhere along the way, I lost rejoicing. Somewhere along the way, I missed the moment. Somewhere along the way, just joy leaked out of my life. I got bitter. I got hurt. I got mad. I was sad. I, I didn't even know where it came from. It came without me realizing it. The enemy came in like a flood. But I've come to let somebody know the Spirit of the Lord is raising up a standard in the room this morning. It's clear. It's clear. It's a, it's a clear sound. It's a, it's a flag flying high from the Word this morning. And God is telling someone, make your way to an altar. Make your way to a place of repentance. I've come to declare life in the room. I've come to let somebody know you can live. You don't have to die. This doesn't have to be the end. It's not over. It's not Waterloo. It's not checkmate. I've got a plan. I've got a purpose. Your greatest days are before you. It's not over. Come on, Apostolic, if you 
If you're alive and you know it, just let the Holy Ghost begin to work. Find someone to pray with you. Don't know. You can't tell by looking. There's someone that's almost dead right now. You can't tell by looking. The one that's almost finished right now.